Hey everyone, welcome back to the Devil's Advocates podcast. I'm JP, I'm joined with Brad Pack and Jake as always. Uh, today we're going to do a little way too early projection of uh, the lines and maybe the standings in the metro. Um, so yeah, let's let's just jump right into it. What do you guys think the top line is looking like next year? Uh, Mason Geertsen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> no. Um, Joe Gambardella. I, I don't know. I think we could have a little talk on this if you guys want, but by top line, I really just consider it. There's Jack's line and Nico's line. Which one do you want to consider? Top line, you know, maybe that'll actually cement itself a little bit more this season, where last season I felt like you could argue it was Nico's line was the quote-unquote top line just because you kind of had Jack more with the quote-unquote spare parts, I guess, in like Hala uh, and just kind of finding trying to find his ideal line mates even though clearly Jack is our most gifted by far offensive guy on the team. So I, I would start off with it. There's a Jack line and a Nico line. Um, yeah, that's probably fair. Do you guys have any strong feelings one way or the other that are fairly, you know, it's, it's whatever, just some nights Nico's going to get more minutes. Some nights Jack will. Yeah. It's generally, situational. I th- generally I think it's going to be Jack, but you know, Nico's going to get the PK time too. So right. whatever, but uh, if I want to go way too early, I'll start. We'll we'll do the the top offensive guy uh, with Jack. And my way too early prediction on this, although I'm sure we all can agree the top six outside of Jack and Nico being on the same line, the other four is basically interchangeable. Uh, yeah, with much. one with one other caveat. Uh, so for Jack, my early prediction would be Brat at left wing which actually will put him back to where he played early in his career with us, was originally on the left side. But due to team needs, he very quickly moved over to the right side and basically has been mostly stapled over there since because we just have not really had strong right wingers in most of his tenure here. And then rounding out that line on the right side would be Tyler Toffoli. Are, are you looking I was, at I was waiting a, was for that you. a question? No, no, no. I was waiting for you. <laughs> I mean, um, I don't I don't know exactly what format we're going in here for given our uh, way too early predictions. So I I, I, uh, I didn't know if that was in the form of a question or not. Um, no, I mean, I, I think as opposed to, you know, the last few years, especially at least the top six is definitely more locked in than it has been. And I think you're, you're pretty spot on with the Jack versus Nico being lines one and two. I, I don't know what it is in my brain. Um, I really have no reason, no like you know scientific backing for this, but I always look at Nico's line as line one and Jack's line as as line two, even if if the you know time difference you know time on ice is slightly different, even if it does favor Jack, um, I feel like Jack double shifts a lot, especially when there's injury or you know if we're down a goal late in a game, they'll make Jack four C as well, um, you know, so he ends up getting that time back no matter what, but. I feel like, um, for all intents and purposes, Nico's line is line one, you know, to the captain's line, you know, I don't know. It just makes sense to me. Um, so I do think he will be up top with Brat, and, uh, I believe to Foley again, um, which is what I think you said. Um, and then the other line, Jack's line should be Jack and Timo Meyer. The only spot in the top six that's even close to being debatable is that sixth spot, which would be on Jack's wing. 
I think we're pretty slotted in. Most people agree that the starting person there should be Dawson Mercer, which is kind of subject to change. Do you guys feel like that's, you know, locked in? Do you feel like that's up in the air? What do you guys think? I, I kind of got a bone to pick with your lines, to be honest with you. Oh, oh, by yeah. all means. Both are BP. Uh, BP. You said he sure would be with Brett and Toffoli, right? Uh, yeah. Do you have Mercer up top and Toffoli second? So, no, I actually, I think Meyer needs to be Heischer's guy. I think he needs to be Heischer's number two. Um, the reason for that is I don't think Jack and Timo work particularly well together because I think they're very similar players in a lot of ways. Um, I think they both kind of need to be the guy on transition. Um, and they're both like heavy volume shooters, like heavy volume shooters. And between the two of them last year, they had like 600 something shots, which is ridiculous. Um, but I don't think you can really have two of those guys on the same line. Now the criticism last year was having Brat and Hughes together because people thought they were too similar. And it's funny because Meyer and Brat are kind of polar opposites but everyone is kind of saying Meyer's a lot like Jack, but Brat's also a lot like Jack. You know, the transitive property is just getting absolutely ignored here. Um, so a lot of the criticism came in the sense, in the form of Brat and Hughes are both playmakers, that they both look for the pass, that we did need that hard-nosed, high-volume shot guy. And I think as the season went on, I think Jack, you know, did step into that role and he got more comfortable with shoot first. But, you know, for for some of his career, at least, I feel like there is some merit to the idea that he is a pass, passing playmaker more so than a, you know, get to the net scorer. So do you think that Brat and Hughes together, you know, is that not also two similar players? Uh, I don't really think so. I think I think a lot of the reason that people say that is because they're both very good at transition and they're both very small. And Timo Meyer doesn't really fit that bill. Um, granted, Timo is also very good at transition, but that's, you know, he doesn't fit the small part of that, um, which is why I think the two of them are going to be with Toffoli, like uh, like Jake said. Yeah, so I think the argument, like uh, JP was saying, that Jack and Brett are similar is more so. They're high-skilled, very good on their edges, skating guys, can kind of dance the outside a bunch. Um but Brat is definitely much more of a passer than Jack, even if I would say Jack is equal, if not better, of a passer than Brad is. It's just I think Jack is also a better shot, or at least is willing to take Jake, more of the shots to then. Please stop playing Minesweeper. I can't help it. <laughs> uh, I can hear it. But with uh, the one... To bring it up here now, because we're kind of talking about the top six as a whole, my one other caveat was I don't see any world where Toffoli and Mercer are on a line together. Well, yeah, I don't think so. Right, right. There's I don't just... think Brat or Meyer... So while like, I was saying yeah. the top six is very interchangeable, it's those two will, unless Ruff goes on some craziness, which he could do, it is Lindy Ruff, I, I just don't see those two uh, ever sticking on a, a line together at any point. You know, they're both really, I think they're the uh, only right shots in the top six. Uh, so they are basically the natural right wingers to be 
thrown in with the other four guys and whatever combo. So really it's Brett and Timo uh, arguing which one of those are flipping and then which right winger is going along with them. So I think Toffoli kind of is filling in the role where you had Timo on uh, Jack's line where Toffoli is going to be much more the hard nose getting into the net front. He's also a trigger man for those gorgeous passes that Jack and Brett will set him up for. Uh, But he doesn't uh, need to be the transition guy. He can be the third guy in because he's he's not the skater that Jack and Brad are. So you kind of let those two handle the transition game. Just, you know, Jack's a one-man force at it. Brad, to supplement it, Toffoli's going to be the lag that's going to come in for beautiful one-time setups or getting right into the net front for rebounds and stuff like that is kind of just how I generally see it playing out. Where you kind of uh, where you then have Timo as the hard nose transition guy with Nico and Mercer, uh, whether that's him taking the puck right to the net and Nico and Mercer crashing, or he goes back behind the net and it's more of a setup to a shot from either of those guys. Because really, that line I'd say all three between Timo, Nico, and Mercer can all get down behind the net and play along the boards deep. Yeah. They can also all three of them can one time off of a beautiful setup from any of the other guys. They also can all pretty much cycle within the zone as well. And um, while I don't think it shows up too much, and off the top of my head, I don't know Timo's uh, 200-foot game is anywhere near, obviously, what Nico or Mercer is. I think it is still fairly solid. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, You know, again, he's he's not a selkie guy, but he's not an absolute sieve either. So him being with Nico and Mercer, again, we saw Nico played much more of that. I'm going to play against the other team's top line role, especially if we're talking, you know, way down the road in playoffs, since this is a way early discussion. Um, Nico plays against the other top guys. So his line needs to be uh, at least defensively enough responsible across the board to handle that. And I think with Timo and Mercer, it is. And then you have just Jack Bratt to fully just feasting on lower competition. So one question that I'll throw in there, you know, just because, you know, I see it this way, but I don't know if you guys do. I do see Mercer as kind of the six out of six of this top six of being the most replaceable should he hit a slump or should someone else overperform where they really should be performing. So hypothetically, um, you know, I know we haven't gotten to our um, bottom six yet, so I don't mean any spoilers here, but if Dawson Mercer hits a slump or who do you, or if someone else were to overperform, who do you think would fit into the top six? Should Dawson Mercer not be there? Uh, I think it probably should be Alex Holtz, depending on what he's doing. Um, if he's playing well, then absolutely. If he's not playing well, then I imagine it's probably Palat or maybe even Hala, though. I don't know who would really slot into the third center position. Uh, granted if Mercer is moving down, then he could center the third line. No, yeah, no, I, about it. I agree. Um, I think Holtz is the if if Holtz forces his way onto the lineup, uh, he should have the opportunity to play in that top six. That's really what he was drafted for. Just an, another trigger man. And if we assume Holtz, let's say, does play his way into the lineup, I think it does change up the structure a bit because he's a very different player from Mercer. But that being said, I think. The lines generally stay the same. I, I think I'm still keeping to Foley and Brat with Jack, and yeah. then Demo with Nico, and then Holtz sliding in there. But uh, which JP also said, which surprised me a little bit. But I think Palat 
has a, is a known shown quantity of a top six player playing with skilled guys, he can do it. Uh, and Hala, he is a known quantity with Jack. Uh, if he wasn't snake bitten for over half the year, you know, we're probably talking about him being like a legit middle six guy as opposed to like a fairly staple third line guy. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, if Mercer's the obvious one coming down, he can slot in there on the three C. Um, you know, if uh, Mikey is here and plays as he did in playoffs and stuff, I have no issue if he's playing like that in a third line type role. We have Lazar as a backup. Maybe Christian, you know, there's a lot of more, bottom six is a lot more volatile than our top six, obviously. Uh, and I don't even think it's that volatile, but uh, we have options, which is obviously fantastic. You know, sometimes I think a lot of teams run into the issue of proper slotting. We know this as Devils fans very well, as we always played guys that were very good players, but they were one step above where they really should have been. And I think we have the luxury of having a third line that's probably better than a lot of teams' second lines. So they can they can slot up in injury in injury situations or just guys slump in or it's Lindy. So if we're down a goal in the third period, it's gonna be a show on those lines. So so let's get right into it. Who do you guys have on your third line right now? Uh, Palat, Holla, Holtz. I think hundred percent same yeah. here. So that seems like the only thing that makes sense to me. But we've spent you know four episodes now discussing that if Holtz is going to be on the team that he deserves some sort of top six look role whatever you want to call it and we all have him slotted pretty cemented into the third like what's going on here so I I do have a hot take this is this is my hot take um eventually I think our top six will be cemented into what we already talked about however opening day lineup I think I have to fully on the third line with Palat and Hala and I have Holtz in the top six with Jack and Brad. That is a way too early hot take. That I is love a that. very early hot take. That's that's my thoughts. Jake, I, what do you think? I don't hate it. I don't know if Lindy does it. I I, I mean I can definitely see it. I but to be honest, I think uh let me put it this way. I agree to a point. I'm going to disagree that it's Toffoli starting on the third line. I think if Holt starts top six, it's Mercer down. Interesting. I just don't see us acquiring Toffoli for the player that he is for him to start on outside of the top six. That's probably fair. I agree uh, with that. And not that Ruff is necessarily going to cater to any player in the interest of contracts because that's not Ruff's job. But at the same time, Toffoli's not here to be on the third line. And playing him on the third line is a quick way to get a disgruntled player who does not want to resign in New Jersey. Well, we, we Jersey. did, push, we did trade for Meyer, and then Meyer was immediately put on the third line. Yeah. so Very temporarily. Yeah, I thought it was pretty meaty. Yeah, he had a decent stint on the third. Uh, but I... You know, uh, as I'm going to end up doing on this show a lot, I'm sure. I defended Lindy to a point on that one. I think Timo's clearly a top six guy. He's arguably, you know, he's he's Timo Meyer, right? Second best power forward in the league behind Matty Kachuk. And, you know, so, but when you look at the lines of Jack's driving his own line, if you have like Nico and Brat together between those two, someone's driving that shift in, shift out. And then you throw Timo on a third line with him to just own and dominate third line. I at least see the thought process of 
what team is matching up against that. But I just don't think we had the depth of like we had Eric Kala in the top six. And you're talking about, you know, Sharon Govich now playing a little bit higher up than he probably should have. So I don't think we had the depth to really spread out the the big name talents on the team like that. This year we arguably more so do. So I, I could I could absolutely see us going into a little bit of a slump. It happens, right? I mean, we just had this record season, but our December was god awful, right? I mean, if you remember that December was was, <laughs> was atrocious. Bad. So, I mean, even even after having a literal franchise season, we still had a month that was god-awful. You go through slumps like that, you know, maybe we do see a, a, a bit of a shake-up that's just going to spread out the talent, let each of the, the, the pillars of the team, Timo, Jack, uh, Brat, and Nico, drive their own lines, essentially. Uh, maybe we see that. But again, I don't think that's an opening night, opening week, or even opening month situation. I think that's a, you're into the season, Something's not clicking. You're just trying to stir some mojo. Uh, so, again, you know, I like I said, I was agreeing. T- uh, third line is going to be Palat Hala locked in. Yeah. And then some, someone between, in my opinion, Holtz or Mercer. I can see the argument of Toffoli starting lower just because, gosh, that is an obnoxious Palat Hala Toffoli line. Well, exactly. That sounds yeah. brutal to play against. Yeah. But I just don't think you're getting the most out of each of them. In that scenario, I think Toffoli again is just better in that like Jack Brat type setup. Yeah, yeah, that's probably fair. Um, I did, I did look it up because I'm a loser. Um, Timo Meyer played exactly two seconds more with Jack Hughes than he did with Jesper Boquist. All right, well, this is going to be like the third episode in a row where I have to sit here and be like, "Well, I'm wrong and I don't know anything." <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, guys. You're really making me look great on this podcast. We're um, here to really show off the eye test. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm just getting shit on left and right. Um, but I agree with you guys. I think it's going to be Palat, Hall, and Holtz because the top six is just so kind of locked in right now that yeah. Holtz really has to start on the third line and start, you know, if he's going to make the team at all, and he has to show what he's got on the third line. I also think I haven't seen anyone talk about this yet, so... That either means that I'm a genius or I am so dumb for thinking this that no one else has thought it yet. But I do think a third line of Palat and Halla will help Holtz a lot because the biggest criticism of Holtz has been his skating. And Halla and Palat are not exactly run-and-gun Jack Hughes-style skaters. So, you know, for in terms of pace of play and, you know, again, I could be totally wrong here. I feel like Holtz may have the game a little more his speed a little bit. JP is so ready to eviscerate I, me. <laughs> I absolutely am. Um, I actually, I wrote an article about this for Infernal oh Access. Oh, my God. Um, on... All right, cut, cut this whole segment. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't care anymore. Get um... rid of the episode. I don't care anymore. Um, I think Holtz is kind of the perfect, what you would call a passenger player, where I think he needs players like Jack and Brat to succeed the best. Um. I don't necessarily think his worst problem is his skating. I think it's probably one of his worst problems. Um, I don't think it's bad. I think what is bad is his ability to think the game at a high enough speed um, to like play with the likes of Hughes and Brat. But what I will say is, if he's on a line with Jack and Brat, like I want him to be, I really want him to be in that position, that allows Jack and Brat to be the the run-and-gun transition guys while Alex Holtz sets himself up in the middle of the ice, just gets open space, and just launches shots whenever he gets a pass. Kind of in the Ovechkin role. 
Obviously, he's not Ovechkin, but that's kind of what he does. So I'll come in with a hot take, I think, maybe. Just leave me alone. No, no, no. I, I think you're good. So, no, no. I agree with BP to a point, again, that I think Holtz could fit in really well with Palat and Hala. He does not have to worry too much about the defensive side of the game with those two. He doesn't have to worry about hounding down pucks down low. He doesn't have to worry about being a net front presence with those two. He doesn't have to worry about crashing the net with those two. He just needs to put himself in a spot to receive passes and shoot puck on net, which is really what he got brought here to do. Right. But my complaint, if I were to have any about him with those two, is that I think they're going to get a lot of uh, defensive starts. They're going to get put in a lot of positions when they're coming over the boards where they are going up against more of grinder-type players. Now, they're still third line, so there's going to be a, a balance of grinder skill that they're going up against. And I think that's where he might struggle a bit more if the game is played a lot more on the boards or down low, as opposed to twisting and twirling around with these neat little passes that Holtz is actually, I think, a very underrated playmaker. Yep, He actually has a very, very, very good pass. Yeah, But... Again, I don't. He doesn't sometimes get to those real dirty areas, whether that's net front, down low, or the like real heavy board battles. So there, you know, it's it's a little bit of both. So the play style of fitting with Halla and Palat is nice for him in that sense, but also the being at a third line, his competition generally or deployment, I think, is better. The deployment he'll be put into is probably not ideal for his style. Where I'm going to push back on JP a little bit is I actually would not play him with Jack or Brad at all. Interesting. Because I think <laughs> Jack and Brad are similar in they are not the crash the net, get down, play dirty, uh, retrieve the puck in the corners type play at all because generally they don't have to. They can just wheel and deal in the middle of the ice and pass super well enough that they don't need to. But that's why I'm putting Toffoli with them because they don't do that stuff. So Toffoli, when the puck is sent into an area that they're not normally crashing, Toffoli's crashing. He's crashing the net. Where I then actually would like Holtz with Nico and Timo. Interesting. Again, as you said, Timo and Jack are volume shooters. So no matter where you're putting Holtz, he's with another volume shooter guy. But Holtz is that. He's not necessarily a volume shooter. He's a sniper. He's a set me up and I'm putting that puck in the spot I want. I don't need to shoot a hundred times to put it in. I just need to get the puck in the right spot to put it in. Right. And I think both Timo and Nico are excellent playmakers. And then, like I just said, Holtz has a wicked pass. He does not need to shoot. That's not his only asset. So he can set Timo up for some beautiful goals. And Timo can be that down dirty with Nico. Timo and Nico can crash the net. So just from a play style, that's, that's kind of where I would set him up. Mercer then slots in with Palat and Hala, and I think that's also a disgusting line because all the three of them is, can be crashers. Yeah. Mercer can be the trigger man on that line, yeah. but also play the more grindy, dirty, two-way game that the other two are going to be put into. Yeah, that's fair. By the way, I would just like to say, Jake, you sound amazing this episode. I checked the Discord settings. It's uh, my boom, my boom mic here. Uh, instead of the the webcam mic, let's go. So, yeah, uh, no, I, uh, I I'm not I, I'm not searching for the Titanic anymore. <laughs> yeah, you you imploded and you're back up at the surface now. Um, so the fourth line, I think, 
with any team is go- always going to have the most variance. It's it's where everyone's fighting to be because it's the theoretical bottom of the roster. Oh, not even theoretical. It, it is the bottom of the forward roster. So the Devils have a lot of options here, and some of the options even have special circumstances. So as of right now on daily face-off, the fourth line reads... Lazar, McLeod, Bastion. How accurate do you guys think this is? Two thirds accurate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think. Oh. I think Jake. I think we're going to be on the same page here. I think it's going to be Nolan Foot. Yeah. Nope. Same. I agree. Uh, he seems to have been absolutely primed up, loaded uh, by management and coaching staff. That uh, he has basically been molded to slot into this fourth line left wing as opposed to lazar yeah i think lazar is going to be the 13th forward now there was a signing this week that made things very interesting in chris tierney being uh it's a two-way deal uh i think you know league minimum up up with the with the devils and i think around four hundred thousand with um utica which by the way Good for him because he's making a decent chunk of change even, even in the minors. That's a good minors pay. Yeah. It is a good that's minors good. pay. Um, yeah. I've always been very down on the AHL for their – and I understand why it is the way it is. You know, it's just the way it works. But I've always not really appreciated some of they those sh- pay rates. They should be paid more. but They should be paid more. That's, um, that's for another episode. Devil's Advocate stands with the working class. Am I right, boys? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> so okay, so Nolan foot in for Curtis Lazar. With this Tierney signing, obviously the two way deal means he can play either either, you know, squad. I have my idea of why they made this signing. I think we're all on the same page with this one. Who wants to say it? I'll be the bad cop. I think that they're prepping for a possible McLeod suspension. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's an insurance uh, plan that they took out because if if for whatever reason McLeod is not involved or doesn't get suspended for whatever reason, he he's got to be a lock for four C. There, I right. I think we all agree there too. Because I mean, you yeah. were both saying maybe even push him to three C if he keeps performing the way he has. He, he he's the perfect four C at this point in time, especially if he plays to his playoff level performance. He had a good playoffs. Um, there had been times in the season where I, I really didn't love his play, but I think he put it together very nicely. And Bastion, for you know, love it or hate it, he's stapled himself to McLeod's side on that fourth line. They yeah. do play well together. They have the chemistry and the marketability as the super buddies. The the social media team loves the super buddies. So Curtis Lazar is kind of the odd man out there, and I do think I agree with you guys that he is the 13th forward, not the 12th. I also think Foot has been primed for that spot. And I think there is some merit to it as well. Not just who's going to have a good camp, but you look at last season, who they call up, who they give those looks to, who they put in certain spots. It seemed like Nolan Foot was the first guy up. Um, I think some can make an argument for Graham Clark. Uh, he has progressed quite nicely. We, we do like him. JP, are you, a, are you a Clark fan? I'm a big Clark fan. I really like Clark. Do you think he cracks the roster this year? Uh, probably not opening night, but at some point, yeah. Injury call up. That's yeah. yeah I that's think he's the first call up. I don't think he's really suited necessarily for a fourth line role. I agree. Uh, I just, just I don't think that would suit him alongside like McLeod Bastion. Just doesn't really make sense to me. 
uh, you know, just to reiterate, I basically am in full agreement. Uh, the only thing I will say is Utica is unarguably light on centers, at least natural centers. So there is an argument to be made. You know, he was a depth signing for there and an insurance policy if this ruling goes the wrong way uh, or the right way. If, if McLeod's, you know, yeah, if he's, part of it, if he's guilty, if get he's him part the fuck of it, off the team. Yeah, get, leave. Yeah. If, if he's not part of it, then, you know, I definitely crack jokes at his expense. I'm not, you know, he's not going to see it. Who, what's he care? But, <laughs> uh, you know, then awesome. I, I would be full support behind him if he is not uh, imp- uh, implement, not implemented. That's implicated. the wrong word. Implicated. Thank you. Jeez. Implicated in this at all. Uh, but I do have one question for you guys. This feels more like maybe a JP thing. Uh, I, I noticed it on a couple different deals. Hey, PP, if you know the answer to it, I'll buy gonna, you dinner. I'll buy you gonna dinner. put my microphone down. You know, I'm not needed here. <laughs> Is Chris Tierney listed as a, uh, main ro- main roster forward on cap as friendly of, as of right now yes he's on the nhl he, roster so does he have to go through waivers to get down to utica i don't think so because it's a two-way deal yeah they, i don't think you're allowed a two-way deal if you're not waiver exempt. yeah so so he could get sent down to utica to start the year no waivers but if we ever called him up then he would have to go through waivers to go down the only thing a two-way deal has anything to do with is your money it right, doesn't right, mean you yeah, can yeah, yeah, yeah. that's Two-way just purely means you're getting paid two different amounts. It has nothing to do with waivers or anything like that. So yeah. I was just confused by he is currently on the main roster. Yep. Does he uh, – maybe I can try and look this up if you guys have any major point you're making. But if he has to go through waivers to go down, I think that is more damning for McLeod than if he doesn't, if you know what I mean. I – oh, man, that's, that's Unless tough. they just plan on having Tierney start the year in Utica. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. And he, without going through waivers. I think that's he can question. right now. I think oh, there's a yeah. one-week grace period yeah. um, when yeah. you sign a new player uh, where they can go to the AHL without waivers. Okay. All right. That was my question because yeah. if he can go down, then no problem. Uh, I think, you know, McLeod's the staple for C uh, with outside circumstances not coming in. Uh, Bastion and Lazar will be fighting for that fourth line right wing where I think Bastion is more of the staple guy. But... I don't know. Lazar had fairly limited time with us. I did like him in his little bit of... Uh, uh, I mean, he had the one playoff game that he scored, but then was immediately t- taken out. I think that is fairly telling that even after scoring a goal, he didn't get to start the next game. Yeah. So I think he's really just there as a physical insurance policy again. You know, maybe we're going up against, you know, if the Flyers keep their reputation because they're going to be some bottom-dwelling team, which we're going to get into at the end of this episode. They just want to bring in a bit more of a physical force. But uh, do you know if either of you know is Foot much of a, a fighter at all? I know he's big. No, he's just he's large. A big guy. He's just large he's... and throws his weight around. Gotcha. Okay, so yeah, I I don't know if Lazar's played much left wing. How much left wing Bastion's even played? They both seem to be uh, center right wingers. Yeah. So left wing seems to be more so just four foot. Um, we'll kind of see how that goes. Just for clarification, I just looked into it. Um. When you're acquired by a new team, you have a 30-day grace period where you are not eligible to go through waivers. Got it. Okay, then yeah. that makes complete sense. Right. Perfect. Also, I may be completely mistaken here. Again, hand up. This might be another part we just cut out of the episode. But if, if NHL, uh, EA Sports has taught me anything, I believe during the preseason there is a certain amount of time that you can send players down without waivers 
before the season starts and then you know there's like a certain date you know a couple of days before the season starts where waivers like takes effect uh EA you Sport might be right may, ea sports may be lying to me I'll but defer. I, as an avid franchise mode player i get that notification all the time <laughs> that's just like hey the season's about to start like get your waivers in now because in like three days they're gonna have to pass through waivers and then get claimed right so i i believe that may be a thing um, maybe I just play too many video games. Both <laughs> may be true. I don't know. I'm having kind of an existential crisis live on the podcast right now. Um, but all right, let's move on to defense here. Uh, I think the top pairing should be fairly concrete with the three of us here yep. of Hamilton and Siegenthaler. Yep. We yep. all agree I, there. I think we all agree. That's the starting top pair. Right. Yeah. For starting the season. Yeah. And then we'll see. They, how it goes. I mean, in terms of one right, defenseman and one left defenseman with complementary styles that worked well last year that are both you know, known first, commodities known commodities first line you know quality players I, I think they're pretty locked in second and third pairings are where we get into the mud a little bit there are some possibilities and um not just in pairings but in the roster in general so as of right now on daily faceoff, the second pairing is Luke Hughes and John Marino. Yep. Yep. Do we, do we think that stays? Yep. Yep. Hundred percent. I agree. I, I I do think it does stay as well. Um, Luke proved at the end of last year that he's ready for the yeah. show. Marino is absolutely number two behind Hamilton on the right side. Yep. Uh, I think there's a big gap after Marino. Even uh, I don't think there's any chance he he would be considered for the third line. Um, Hughes can bop up and down as he is going to be in his, you know, true rookie season here, but he's, he's got to, got to get started on this. Yeah. I think he's pretty cemented on the second line there. Third, we have on daily faceoff, Kevin ball and Brendan Smith. Now there is, yeah, I was going to say, there might be some disagreement with this one. What are we thinking? Uh, I'm going to say Kevin ball and Colin Miller. Okay. That's the boring, more likely answer. Uh, I'll go with the hot take. Yeah, go for the hot take. I'll go with the hot take uh, because I I talked about it on my morning show. Gives us a little bit of discussion. Uh, I think if Nemitz shows it, starting third line would be Miller on the left, Nemitz third right D. Interesting. Ball as the seventh D. Smith sent down to Utica, possibly picked up on waivers or not. Who knows? But uh, Smith Smith sent down because you can bury his entire cap hit down there. Uh, Ball uh, was shown to be an in and out of the lineup guy last year. He had really high peaks of play where he had you know multiple games in a row where he seemed to be like, wow, this guy could legitimately be a top four uh, defenseman in the NHL very long term. Uh, but also came back to earth a little bit uh, in the playoffs where I was like, okay, yeah. You know, maybe he's more of a, a bottom four, uh, bottom, you know, definitely. I, I definitely think he's an NHL defenseman, uh, for sure, 100%. Uh, but at least had a little bit of uh, ebbs and flows to his game. So with that being the case, and again, this is with the assumption that Nemec plays himself into the role. I don't think it's going to be handed to him at all. I think coaching staff's inclination is going to be sending him down because he is waiver exempt. And teams are just very big on asset management. They're not going to want to just risk losing like a Brendan Smith on waivers for nothing. They'd rather just let somebody cook at least to start the season, unless Nemec just barges his way and there's no you can't can't not have him start. And I think if he does make his way onto a team, there's a lot more fun combos that can be pulled off 
with mixing up the rest of the top, the six defensemen. Whereas if he doesn't, I think you are pretty locked into Siegenthaler, Dougie, uh, Hughes, Mer- uh, uh, just blanked, uh, Marino, so many M names, and then uh, Ball, Miller, Smith, 70. Yeah. JP, what do you got? Uh, I think Nemec cracks the roster at some point. I don't think it's going to be on opening night. Um, I can absolutely, I would, yeah, I can, I, would, I can see it being like 40 games down the line, even 60 games down the line once Utica's season ends, maybe. Um, but I, I, I think he will be on the roster eventually. I just don't think it'll be opening night or close to it. I, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I think I'm a little higher on Kevin Ball than you might be, Jake. Uh, I think towards the end of the year, he did have his ups and downs, don't get me wrong. I, he started out. I just want you to know how long I have fought and defended this man, Mr. <laughs> Kevin Ball. So you saying you're higher on him than me hurts. When he well, was being talked about as a, just a pure AHL guy, he was never going to see the lineup. I was like, no, there's, there's something there, guys. You just He's got to cook a little bit. Maybe now, you should have kept I, that energy up. You I, know? I, I can't help we drafted a second overall defenseman on top of having a first overall quality defenseman and then another Norris quality defenseman and then another freaking defenseman defensive, two defenseman defensive men of the year. Yeah, not my Maybe father. you should have thought of that before you went and slandered the good name of Kevin Ball. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Kevin Ball, I, I think uh, he had his ups and downs, but I think his ups ended at the end of the season, especially in the playoffs. Yeah. Much like Mikey McLeod, uh, a lot of what we remember is playoffs now. And I think he looked really good in the playoffs. So I'm going to slot him in to that third pair left side. Um I do think Miller and Smith are kind of battling it out for that sixth spot. I don't think Nemitz makes the opening night roster. I think JP a lot more like what you said, 40, 60 games in maybe. I really don't even see him getting called up in the first half of the season at all. There's just no reason. There's just no reason. Even, you know, it would have to be that he is too good to ignore to put him on the roster right now. Even if he's like where he needs to be, Right now, you can still let him cook in the AHL for yeah. another year and let him come in even hotter next year. We really just don't need the help right now, you know, as cocky as that sounds, but we don't. Um, we have options. We have so many options right now that I really, I think, and I think they are being very patient with him too. He really needs to be outstanding at camp to make the roster. Yeah. So I do see it, you know, maybe after Utica season ends, like you said, um, I think they brought in Miller to be, you know, fighting Smith on who's going to be six and who's going to be seven there. I don't think Miller's going in the AHL. I don't care what you guys say. I, I, I just won't stand for that anymore. I'm just, I, you know, I'm going to live my truth. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, you talked me into it. <laughs> I'm glad that we all agree on that now. And we're all best friends who know that Miller's going to be in the NHL. Um, yeah, no, I, I think Miller and Smith are going to duke it out. Ruff seemed really high on Smith when he did. It didn't seem like he really should have been. So if I was making the lineups, I'd probably give Miller that spot, you know, to start. But there's what I would do, and there's what I think Lindy Ruff will do. And I think Lindy Ruff is going to lean on Brendan Smith a little heavier than he probably should. See, I think I think Brendan Smith is an underrated defenseman too. And that, that might be a hot take in and of itself. I think outside of penalties, he's a pretty solid bottom pair defenseman. Those penalties are so, it's so They're really bad. 
he he is with penalties what Damon Severson was with defensive zone giveaways. <laughs> they just they just come at the worst times and they always lead to goals. And I know it's the availability heuristic at work here that I can only you know it. I just think of the goals that happen after his penalties. I'm sure he took a lot of penalties that didn't end up in goals, but all I can remember is those goals that did end up in. Well, I in mean the the key. Those, the key penalties. there is that he just took a lot of penalties. Period. Yeah, he, he took a lot. Um, and I, I think I he's think just. I... I think he's securely either seventh D or yeah, yeah I... and going through waivers. I and, think so too. Yeah, uh, but uh, I, I also think he's capable enough. I, I don't think he's bad. I think he's an NHL player, which is why I think. Again, I agree. If I had to put money on it, uh, Nemec is going to start in the AHL purely because they're not. Well, not purely. But it'll be factored in that they don't want to lose Smith for absolutely nothing on waivers because somebody will pick him up. Yeah, that's probably fair. But um, I want to definitely get this part of the episode in too. Uh, did you guys have any super hot takes like I kind of do on goalies or did we want to do uh, at least the Metro Division rankings, way too early ranking preview? I think we spent enough time on this that we can push that to a uh, next episode. Um, okay, then I got. We should, we I'll go hot take. Who the goalies are. Yep. I'll go hot take on the goalies then. Uh, just bring this episode to full circle. If, assumption, if, big if, right? We do not trade for a goalie, which I think we are still hunting for. I don't think it's an, a lock. It's going to happen, but I think it is fairly clear we are at least in discussions of doing so. If we do not, Shelgren will start as backup in the NHL. Yes. Not AHL backup. Correct. He will be the NHL backup with Vanacek, with Schmidt starting in Utica. I could see that. I just don't see it happening. I I get the logic behind it. I you know I, the the theory is sound. Uh, you, you got to think that why would they make that move otherwise? But I just don't see it. I with the with. It's one of those where there's smoke, there's fire type things where we have been so connected with wanting to upgrade a goalie that even if we don't get like a Hellebuck or a Soros or some of those big guns that we've been talking about, I just don't see any way that Shalgren is the alternative. There's got to be some middle ground if things don't work out to, to swinging for the fences. And I think we kind of saw that last year a little bit when we were also trying to address goalie and the answer became Vanacek. Vanacek wasn't, you know, the superstar or the swing for the fences option, but we couldn't run another season with Gillies and Hammond and those kind of guys either. Not to say that Shelgren's that bad. I mean, I don't think anyone's that bad, but <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you know, you know, peace. Peace and love to my boy, Andrew Hammond and John Gillies, you know, may they rest in peace. But um, I just I just don't see Shalgren being the answer after all that we've seen. All the smoke in the air ending with Shalgren coming out of it would be a Game of Thrones level terrible ending. Well, I think what he was saying is if we don't make a move, then Shalgren is going to be the backup. I, I don't even think we can entertain an if. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think we will make a trade. I don't think it's going to be for any, like, superstar big name. Um, Marty Jones! Dan Vladar. 
<laughs> I'm not doing this again. We are not. Do- um, real quick, yeah. someone did DM me after our goalie episode and said uh, we missed out on Gustafsson. Eh, I don't think we're going to get him. I don't think Minnesota wants to give him up, even if they have Jesper Wallstead in the pipeline, who is going to be unbelievably talented. Um, I think as of right now, Gustafsson's their number one. I don't think he's going anywhere. So, All right. Well, we yeah. can move on then. Um. No, I think I think my hot take is that we'll end up with Ulmark and Vanacek as our as our tandem. I know I said I didn't want anything to do with Ulmark unless he was practically free, um, but I don't think we're gonna give, have to give up a whole lot for him if we do trade for him. And that's my hot take for goalies. I don't know that I agree with that. I'll be practically free coming off of Vezina season. I think if they extend Swayman, he has to be close to it. I I understand that people around the league know that he's not a Vezina winner, even though he is. You know, it, it's all relative. I, I think people understand that the team in front of him really made him what he is. And even if he did have an incredible season, that he's not that. He's not that guy, pal. Like, he's not that guy. Um, but at the same time market value in the NHL is very, very volatile. Yep. And winning a Vezina skyrockets value. So I could see him being a trade deadline piece if he comes back next season and is just a normal goalie again. I can see him, his value at the trade deadline maybe being a little closer to his true value. But you got to think coming off the Vezina win, at least this summer, there's no shot his value isn't completely inflated right now. It probably is, but I, I really I don't think it's going to be as expensive as anyone thinks it's going to be, because it, we're, that's contingent on them signing Swayman. If they don't, you know, extend Swayman to a multi-year deal before arbitration, then Swayman's obviously the one who's going to be moved. But if they extend Swayman, I think they're going to have to sell Olmark for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. All right. Well, so. I think we, I don't want to get right back into all the goalie discussion that we already did. Um, already an episode on that. Yeah, we already, you know, <laughs> go back and listen to the other episode. I'm not going to spoon feed you listeners. Are you serious? Grow up. <laughs> anyway, um, a couple housekeeping things before we hop off here. Um, I think we've gone through the whole lineup here. Um, I, actually, before we do that at all, um, do we have any other roster comments way too early? Come September, October? Uh, if I had any sort of way too early hot take type thing, it would probably take a bit of injuries and for him to really step up, but I would not be surprised. I'll just, uh, just for a hot take, I would love to see a single Chase Stillman NHL game. All right. We, no, <laughs> no, we're not doing that. No, 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 no. We will have a full episode on that. We do not need to do that. <laughs> one game. Now, I the, the the lineup's too stacked. I, I think we're yeah. too deep, and it's just way too obvious of guys in line to make it up for injuries. That again, that would have to be. I'm talking, you know, two, three injuries deep oh, on the back. Way uh, more than that. I'm ta- I'm talking just bottom six guys all going out, and it'd be rough. But no, I mean, as far as roster stuff goes. We're stacked, dude. Our lineup is. Yeah, we're going to be so good. So, all right. So, we'll kind of 
get a few minor points here before we uh, say goodnight to each other here, which is my least favorite part of, of every Aww. Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Um, I'm kidding. Shut up. He's so sweet. Um, so one year ago today, you guys know what happened? Yes, but that's because I saw the message. Um, JP, <laughs> do you know if you didn't I, see I don't, and I didn't. One year ago today, the Devils traded with the Pittsburgh Penguins, no. John Marino no. for Ty Smith. Uh, first of all, what a trade. Fleece a year Gerald later. Added Fleece added Gerald. Gerald is right. It, you know, I know this summer's Hot Tom Summer, but if we're being honest, last summer was Hot Tom Summer too. And the summer <laughs> before, to be honest. And the summer before that. And then before that, it was Hot Ray Summer. Um <laughs> Mr. Shiro on the beach. Yeah, I, I think every Devils fan will say that trade was an absolute home run. Yeah. John Marino came in here and just fit like a glove. And especially when you have those first seasons with the new teams, I think those are sometimes the roughest for a lot of guys. So just how much he just stepped in and was just like seamless was insane. So I can't wait to see what he does, does with now having a full year of our, uh, not just apparently, but like uh, very known weird system that we play here. Uh, it sounds like every guy that's come in here has said, you know, for the most part, systems across the NHL, you have like one, two, three, maybe a fourth one that most teams kind of rotate to with slight tweaks. Ours is like the this, fifth. Yeah, the fifth option of that, of just something very different. So the fact that he stepped right in uh, was awesome. Uh, also, with that trade, Ty got a new contract as well. He got the bulk of his contract, yeah. the one year, one way, 775. Uh, so good for him. Uh, you know, I think he, I think he's an NHLer, probably. Uh, I'll be honest. If he did not work on, I panic and have no, not everything. He just, he could not Exit have his back turned. Yeah, he could not have his back turned yeah. to a forecheck. If he had to go retrieve a puck, and a player was even within five feet of him, it was a disaster. Yep. Yeah. But it was, it if the play was in nice. front of him, he was really good. Yeah. The moment he had to turn around just unmitigated disaster. So I do think, you know, that Penguins roster is pretty sus. Uh, and Stop mind sweeping. He, he, I was clicking through tabs. He <laughs> uh, struggled, uh, be, or he didn't struggle. He didn't make the roster because they literally could not afford him. Their cap was yeah. in shambles. This will give him the opportunity to take a short, a cheap deal. One year, cap explodes. Maybe I make some money or... Who knows? Because if he didn't work on that back-checking... That was bad. That was really bad. Maybe he shows another team that he's worth another one-year 775. (laughs) Um, Also, uh, one thing I just kind of found funny, nothing official, nothing... uh, Official was the correct word. I don't know why I continued. Um, But people have been... I think Boston area reporters have been reporting that Bergeron, who has not retired yet, seems to be engaging in some pretty intense off-season workouts, which Mm. may indicate that maybe he's coming back for one more, Uh, which I just wanted to kind of throw out how hilarious that is, given our Boquist conversations that we spent so long being like, oh, he went there to beat 3C, he's going to push up, and Bergeron coming back would ruin all of that. I think he'd still be on the third line. I th- I think he'd definitely be the left wing on the third line over AJ Greer, 
or whoever okay. the hell they had on their right side too. I think it hurts it. I don't think it ruins it. Yeah, uh, it hurts it. Yeah, well, I, I think I, he I still was, gets an opportunity. I was being dramatic. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, what is going no. on today? <laughs> uh, I think the only other last piece of uh, you know any sort of devil's type news was uh, you know the passing of Bill McMillan, first coach and GM of the Devils. Uh, so we send condolences to his family yeah, and friends. Uh, I did a little bit in my morning episode, pretty much all about him, what he meant to the organization. Uh, for those that didn't listen, I'd say the biggest thing was outside of leading to the team to some abysmal seasons. Uh, the, he wasn't handed a very great roster, but he got Chico Resch to this organization. It was basically his friendship with Chico got Chico here. Otherwise, uh, it, from the sounds of it, if it wasn't for Bill, Chico would have been a New York Ranger. Yeah. So yeah. if... If there was anything you wanted to take away from his stint here as coach and GM, he got us Chico, and we know that the rest is history with Chico. So, yeah, Chico's uh, still around. Crazy, yeah, icon of the organization. So, yeah, could you imagine being with the same organization for what fifty years now? No, good for him. Yeah. The Devils, nonetheless, in the you know the last ten years. <laughs> That's he true. deserves an award with us for sticking with them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I think uh, if we go any longer here, I'm going to hit the silly mode. Ooh, can't have that happen. We'll do, we'll do one can't, of those. Cannot have that happen. We'll do one of those episodes one night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, Jake's getting silly. He's been yugging red wine. Yeah, I just got to have something. We probably think cut I, the think episode I can talk, like 30 seconds before this. I think I can talk to you guys sober. <laughs> but that's it. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it easy, everybody. Let's Justin Brad is the best player in the NHL. <laughs> <laughs>